Nehemiah, if you'll turn there, chapter 7. We are in our series of Building Faith. And as I mentioned this morning, we did chapter 8 this morning, and now we're backtracking a bit for chapter 7. Because we have a limited amount of time here. And before we jump in, I did want to say, good to see Ruth Gleason with us and Jamie. Ruth, they were here early on, visiting back with us. So if you were here early on, go say hi. She'd love to see you. All right, Nehemiah chapter 7, and let's bow for prayer, and we'll jump into our passage today. Gracious God, thank you so much for your great mercy to us. Thank you for the power of the cross that gives us the, the rich grace and mercy poured out of salvation, of forgiveness of sin, and Father, that gives us also the power to walk in newness of life the power to live as you desire us to live, the power to glorify you through our every thought and action. And thank you that you have provided everything for us, even the strength and the grace to do what you have asked us to do. And Father, as we look into your word, as we see the lessons that you were teaching so many years ago, help us to apply those lessons to our hearts and lives, that you may be glorified in and through us, and that you may be preeminent in our hearts and lives. Which in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Chapter 7 is an interesting chapter in Nehemiah. I'm not going to go all through it because we'll be pronouncing names for quite a bit. And uh, this is kind of a, a registry toward the end of the part, from 5 on, a registry of those who came, uh, who were there early on, that, so they're assembling. And so I'm not going to deal with that primarily. I would encourage you to, to read this and to look at the names and look at... Uh, who God has placed here in Scripture. But tonight, I want to look mainly in verses 1 through 4 and see what God has for us here. And this is the topic tonight, safeguards. Safeguards in our lives. You're going to see Nehemiah do something for the city here that's very important, something that we take for granted because we don't live in a walled city, and most of the time in the U.S. we don't have to worry about marauding bands of, of whatever. Uh, but safeguards. Let's see what Nehemiah does. Verse 1. Verse 1. Now, when the wall was rebuilt, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, and the singers, and the Levites were appointed. Let's stop there a second. I love that he appointed singers. Oh. Um, but he appointed the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites. They were appointed. Now, why would... God paused this and say, hey, we're going to appoint singers and gatekeepers and Levites. Why would he stop the record, as Nehemiah writes, why would he stop that to give us just these details? Because, you know, I'm sure every city did that. I'm sure at some point everybody, okay, we have a gatekeeper, we have gates, we must have, have a gatekeeper. We, we sing for worship, we must have singers, we must have Levites. Well, you see here Nehemiah really dealing with organization and protection. So the gatekeepers were for the protection part. The singers, the Levites, were for organization. And so he is setting up these people, appointing them for what they needed. Well, let's continue because he's going to flesh out a little bit. He doesn't talk much about singers, I'm sorry, or the Levites, but he's going to talk about the gatekeepers. Verse 2, then I put Hanani, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, in charge of Jerusalem. For he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. And remember that we learned in chapter 8 uh, that Nehemiah was governor. 
He had been given governor over the governorship over Jerusalem. And so now he is placing those men in charge of the protection of the city. And he brings his brother as one of them. Now, I'm sure his brother was a pretty interesting guy. I think he was a pretty smart man because God laid it upon the brother's heart to go to uh, Nehemiah, so many hundreds of miles away, and to give him the news. I don't think uh, Hanani was just happening, uh, happened to, to stop in on Nehemiah in chapter 1 and just happened to say, hey, you want to hear news about Jerusalem? I think he knew his brother's character, and I think Hanani was really instrumental in, in bringing, this, uh, bringing Nehemiah and all this about. God was using him in certain ways. But there was this other man that we've seen before, Hananiah. He names him also the commander of the fortress. But there are two characteristics given about Hananiah. He was a faithful man. He was a very much a faithful man, and he feared God. Now, I think it's almost a little humorous that he said he feared God more than many. Um, but, but understand the time in which we're, they're, they're living. If people are coming back to Jerusalem, coming back to the land. And there are those, as we'll see later on, who have not been following the law and who are culturally Jewish and they're culturally doing things and, and maybe they haven't been following God or being faithful to God, but this man stood up. And he stood out from them. Qualifications that, that are needful. And he said, verse 3, said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot, and while they are standing guard, let them shut and bolt the doors. Also appoint guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each at his post and each in front of his house. So he increases what's going on here for protection. He says, I want you to not open the gates until the sun is hot. Okay, so under organization and protection, he says, I want you to open the gates late and close them early. Open the gates late. So while you're standing guard, open the gates. While you're standing guard, shut the gates. And you're going to see later on in chapters that they had a little trouble with people coming on the Sabbath day and selling. And so Nehemiah also shut the gates on them, made sure that they didn't come in and, and really go against what God's law said about selling on the Sabbath. But there are these men guarding, and notice he enlists civilians. Notice who's enlisted also. Those who are coming, these are the same people who have been building those 54 days on the wall. Some of these same people. And some of them have houses that are near the wall, and they can look at or near gates, and they can provide a lookout for themselves. Now, you say, well, why was that such a big deal? And verse 4 tells us. Verse 4 tells us that now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not built. And I don't think we understand the level of destruction that had happened in the captivity and the conquering in the seven years of captivity. But here now, there's not a lot of people in Jerusalem. It's pretty scarce. And the houses weren't built back, and those who had houses, they were saying, we want you to be also a lookout. We want you to, to watch out, to appoint guards each of his posts. And I love how Nehemiah has this organized, and this is the kind of man that Nehemiah is. But he also involves each person in front of their own house, each man in front of the house. You know, it's interesting. In 
Scripture, you see a general principle of alertness and of being on guard. If you look through the Old Testament, and then as we're going to see in the New Testament, the New Testament also has much to say about being on guard of watching. You think of uh, when Isaiah calls on um, in condemnation of the guards, the watchmen who are not doing their job, who see something but don't report it. And the call to be a watchman, and throughout Scripture, you see the importance of one who watches for others, the one who watches for themselves, because there are dangers. There, and their time, physical danger. In our time, we think of spiritual danger. And in fact, the New Testament speaks mostly, almost predominantly, of spiritual alertness. The watchfulness. It began with Jesus. Several times Jesus warned of the leaven, of the sin of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, Luke 12. Luke 12, 15, he warns of greed of possessions. Then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has abundance does his life consist of his possessions. From the Gospels, Jesus said, be on guard. Be on guard. As we look through Scripture, we see the safeguards that we should have in the body of Christ. I want you to turn to a couple passages with me, because we're going to look at these and examine them for safeguards. Nehemiah appointed safeguards. Watch men. We also, in our lives, must watch for our own souls because of Scripture, through Scripture, and watch for others. Let's go and look at general admonitions. So this is given to the leadership of the church, those in leadership of a church to watch for the church. And the first passage will be Acts 20. Turn to Acts 20. One of my um, really favorite passages, because you see the heart of Paul here. And so you'll want to go to um, verse 25. We'll pick up on the screen in 26, but verse 25. So he is, Paul is talking to the elders of Ephesus. They're meeting in a town called Miletus, which is on the coast. And so he is talking to them. In verse 25, he says, And now behold, I know that all of you, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will no longer see my face. Verse 26 says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Why? For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. So in this declaration, he says, Look, I've given you everything that God has given to to me. I've proclaimed the gospel to you. I've proclaimed the, the purpose of Scripture for you, the purpose of Jesus and His coming. And now he gives the warning in verse 28. It says, Be on guard for yourselves. First of all, notice, it's to be on guard for the, for the leadership or to be on guard for themselves. Okay? And then he says, for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. And notice here the, the guarding of it. Be on guard for yourselves and for others. And their, their commission comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has made them those who are overseeing the church and to the shepherd of God, and this is Jesus. The commission also comes from Jesus, and, and, uh, and Paul is 
is putting some, some weighty responsibility on them, isn't he? That this is the Holy Spirit and Jesus who have commissioned you, and this is the church that Jesus purchased with his own blood. Be careful. He says, I know that after my departure in verse 29, uh, that savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from all, also among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And so there, he's saying people will come from without and from within, and will try to teach another doctrine. We think of Galatians, um, and Paul says there, if I or an angel come and preach to another gospel, Right? Don't listen. He, he is to be accursed. And so he's speaking of this. These prefer, perverse things are, are doctrines that would dr- lead and draw away people from following Christ. He said, so I know this is going to happen. This is going to come about. And this is going to be on you in, in great trial. And, and they're going to try to draw away people from following after Christ. Therefore, be on the alert. Remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Be on the alert. Be on the alert. Not only he's giving the example, as it were, of I, night and day. Paul was on the alert for them. He admonished with tears. Be on the alert. He goes on at the, the end of this passage there. He says, now I commend you to God. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. Continues there. But you see a general principle for the leadership of the church to guard against false doctrine, to be very careful, to, to not allow things to come in that would pull people away from Scripture, from the gospel, from Jesus Christ. And so there's a guard against false teaching and a guard against division. Second uh, Timothy four fourteen and fifteen. Turn there with me. Second Timothy. There's a story here of this one who came in from from outside and Alexander the coppersmith. Verse fourteen in Second Timothy speaks of him. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself. For he vigorously opposed our teaching. There again, he's saying, be on guard. Now understand, we, they in that day did not have the full, complete uh, body of Scripture. The canon was not complete. Paul himself was going to be writing. But they were teaching, was teaching from the Old Testament, teaching Scripture. And he was also applying it. And some of his letters came out of that application of God's Word. Now Old Testament now knew with what Jesus had done. He said, this one, be on guard, because he's going to come in and going to oppose what has been taught to you. So that watchfulness. So here's another one, guard against those who are unprincipled, take, who take license with the word of God. Second Peter, Second Peter 3, is a very familiar passage. Second Peter 3. Verse 17 says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall away from your own steadfastness. I'll look at, first at that verse. Beloved, know beforehand and be on your guard. You know, there is much to be said 
And this is, these are the final two verses of, of this letter that, that Peter is writing. There's much to be said. Because of all that has gone before, uh, because of verse 14, to be found in him in peace, spotless and blameless, and, uh, as he moves through that passage, um, Brother Paul, and understanding of this, he says, Be on guard. Don't be carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace. Verse 18, grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He concludes the letter, to him be the glory both now and until the day of eternity. Amen. Be on your guard. So you start to get the the feeling, and these these are not all. I'm going to actually leave some of these for um, our grace group and our discussion, our study. You start to get the feeling that we are not to, as a believer, to kind of walk along through the Christian life uh, without a care in the world, without watching. We, as, as believers, have to be on guard. We have to be alert. Okay? If you ever have run through the woods, you're alert. And hopefully you have that sixth sense to know when not to step in the hole or to trip on the, the vines. I remember as a kid running, I know you don't think I would do this, but I, I ran barefoot through the woods in the back of our house. We lived in a subdivision that... that um, because it was almost unbuildable, there was a gully, kind of a ravine, and a creek that ran through it. And so I ran barefoot through that. And I made the, um, I learned, quickly learned where the sharp stones were in the creek and where the thorns were. How do I learn? By experience. And I started being alert. And there were the times when I weren't alert and I would come home nursing a thorn or two, bro- having been broken off into my foot. And that's always kind of fun. But you learn to be alert you recognize the danger. And often we don't recognize the danger. Now these passages principally so far have been about danger to the church coming in. Those who bring in doctrines that are not part of what are taught in Scripture. And there is a necessary alertness and a, and a warning for us all to be on guard. I love it when Paul commends the Bereans because they listen to what he said and they search the, the Scripture. Okay? So that is what you always must do when you hear a message, when you hear someone preach, is to search Scripture, to validate what they're saying is from Scripture. But the, the watchfulness as a body against, against error is not the only watchfulness that God calls us to. He also calls us a watchfulness in our own hearts and lives individually. A passage here that's a very short verse, but it has a lot in it. And that's 1 John 5.21. Little children, classic John. Little children. He, he loves those people he's writing to. Guard yourselves from idols. Once old, you know, Stacy, I, don't, I have, I have no, nothing silver in my in a little alcove of my house. I don't have these things. I, you know, I don't... Um, bow down three times a day and offer incense or anything like that. I don't have those idols. I'm a believer. I follow Christ. I name the name of Christ. I don't have those. But John had to warn them and us by the Holy Spirit now to guard ourselves from idols. Anything, good or bad, can turn into an idol. Another person, an accomplishment that we hope to achieve, a designation after our name or before our name. Wealth. A good name is what? 
rather be chosen than great riches, but when we take pride in ourselves, that's an idol. Uh, I think as John Calvin said, that uh, we are little idol makers. We have, we have the propensity to make idols of anything in our hearts and lives, of any person, of anything. And here, John tells them, in a book that is filled with, with love and calling them to love others and to love God, he says, guard yourselves from idols. Guard, guard yourselves. In chapter 5 alone, he speaks of being born of God, and he moves all the way through it. Believe in 13 in the name of the Son of God. You may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence. And you think, well, how could we have idols in our lives when, when everything is so wonderful in Christ? Because we are humans. We have this sin nature within us, and we tend to, to follow that pull, the pull of, of something other than God to set up and force. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. You know, I think that's probably the hardest thing that we, we have to guard ourselves. We look at um, look doctrine. Hey, we can codify the doctrine. We can see where doctrine goes off on error. And often we don't spend enough time in doctrine. But you generally, doctrinal error is readily determined. And at this point in the, in the history of Christianity, we can pretty much hear somebody preach something or say something or a TV evangelist or whatever and say, you know, that's not right. I don't think that God wants us, is necessarily concerned about our best life now. That's not the important thing, not to pick on anybody. Uh, I can smile real big. It is not the most important thing in God's economy. The most important thing in God's economy is that we glorify him, that he receive glory. And so doctrinal error we can see often. Sometimes it's a little, it's difficult. But when it hits us, man, I, I don't want to give up that idol. I don't want to give up that thing. The teens are doing a, uh, a study. I hope I don't go ahead of the... It's uh, Secrets of the Vine. And uh, I'm not sure what part, part you're in. But there's a part where um, the author is talking about uh, come to the point where he was willing to give all to God and not hold back anything. To give every part of himself. And it was, came to the point where, Lord, I'm, I'm holding back these certain things. And God says, I need them. I need your family. I need, I need everything. I need your, your ministry. I need everything. But wait, that's a, that can be an idol. I don't want to give that God. And we, we hold and we cling very tightly to those things. But the passage in Nehemiah would call us to being watchful, being alert. I wonder, are you guarding your heart? Are you guarding your heart? And that really is the question, because we can know intellectually about all of these things. We can know that we shouldn't or we should. It's when the heart releases control of itself and its desires and gives it all to God is when he starts to use us. To put a contrast on, turn to Philippians 4. Turn to Philippians 4. To put a contrast here of this. 
guarding our heart against things, how do we guard our hearts toward things? In Philippians, he writes and he says in, in verse four, uh, chapter four, verse five through seven, verses five through seven. Let your gentle spirit be made known, be known to all men. The Lord is near. Well, then he steps on our toes. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. You understand the, the secret to proper watchfulness is Jesus. If our hearts and mind are stayed on Jesus, his peace will guard us. His peace, the peace that we can't comprehend, the, wet, the, the, wait, the breadth and the height of it, this peace will guard, but it's found in Jesus. It's found in staying in Jesus. Sometimes I believe that we have a hard time in our 21st century now of understanding really how much Jesus desires to live in and through us. This part of watchfulness is him guiding, him directing. His being able to, by his peace, guard our hearts. Because what happens when we are watchful and alert, when we see God work, in areas, and we are convicted of areas. Sometimes we have that. Sometimes we have anxiousness just because of life in general. And it's the peace of God. The peace of God that will guard, that will cause us to be those who watch well. So what are the lessons today? Number one, be alert. Guard your heart. Take an active role. Take an active role in the guarding of your heart. So that's being in Scripture. That is proving all things. Okay. It takes work. Yeah, it does. It does take a little bit of work. And that's good for us. We're finding more and more out about Christ. or in His Word. But secondly, the aid to our guarding is God's peace. And that comes from being in Christ. Not only as a believer, but a heart stayed settled in Christ. So what will it be? I think there's a general danger for all of us as Christians to be complacent. The danger comes from without and within. Often comes within it from within our heart from temptations without. It's too easy to say, not now. Not now. I'll, I'll deal with that later. That's not something that I have to worry about. It's, well, Stacy, it's, it's checking a list. It's, 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 and that, that's exactly what God wants us to do. You know, we don't guard our hearts to achieve another gold star on our crown in heaven. We do it because he loves us. Christ has given us everything. And so we desire to live more and more like Christ, to reflect his image, 
to reflect his beauty by reflecting his holiness. And that is the key to our lives. You know, we don't, we don't start to fall away from God all at once. We don't say, hey, um, today I think I will, call, I will do great sin. You know, I, I, we, we've seen and heard um, the sad case of, of many, um, we'll just pick on preachers right now, recently, in the last two or three years, who have fallen on various sins. Those men didn't start out one day and say, you know what, today I'm going to sin greatly. I'm just going to get it done. No, it was little by little. It's like, it, like, like with us. I, I, don't, I don't think I need to read, read the Word of God today. I don't think I need to pray today. You know, I'm really busy. I've got people to see. I've got things to do. I've got work to do. So I, I don't need to spend time with God today, you know. And for, for a pastor, I, I, well, I'll prepare because that's, my, that's the message. They're going to listen, you know. You can't download anything from the Internet now. People know it all. So you have, to, you, know, you have to go and actually prepare. But the preparation is not for your own heart. It's for others. And so you lose that work of God in your heart of regenerating and, and building up. So little by little, that's with us. We stop focusing on the gospel mission. We stop focusing on who really is important in our lives. We stop focusing on everything that God has given us and the peace that he gives through himself. We forget the main thing. We don't keep the main thing, the main thing of the gospel. We allow pride and selfishness to overtake us and we let down our guard. Be alert. Be watchful. And as you stay in Christ, as you live in him, the beauty of his peace and of his presence so captivates your heart and mind that you're not one who's blown away by, by different things of, of adversity. It comes. Yes, it will come. But your settled rest is in God. Be like Hananiah. Be a faithful believer. Oh, that we were all were have it said of us that we are faithful believers. Oh, that it could be said of us that we feared God more than many. May we be watchful. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, I thank you so much for the power of your word. Four simple verses that call us, that convict us of how we are ought to live. God, I pray that you, by your mercy and grace, would would so captivate our hearts and minds that we would that we'd love you supremely. That we'd be called to a greater and a closer walk with thee. That we, by your mercy and grace, would be reigned by your peace. That we'd be alert, not only to doctrinal error, but things within our own hearts and lives. Things that we set up as idols. Thank you, O oh God, that you have given us the grace, the grace to, by your power, to combat the things that would pull us away from following you. Thank you that you have left your spirit in us for strength, for care, for comfort, for guidance, for conviction. So may we walk by the Spirit. 
be consumed by the peace of our Savior. May we live out the gospel in greater and greater ways each day for your glory. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.